0: I'm Angela Bishop, and for the past 30 years, I've been lucky enough to interview some of the funniest, loveliest and zaniest celebrities around. There have been some cracker interviews, but what you see on TV is usually just a fraction of what's actually recorded. I've been looking back on some of my favourite interviews from the last three decades, and you're in for a treat. You're going to hear the best bits, worst bits, edited, unedited, all with a bit of a backstory from me find out what went off before the cameras went on. This is Starstruck, with me, Ange Bishop. There's something really special when you're listening to the radio and one of your favourite songs comes on. It might be a song that takes you back to a really happy time in your life or it might remind you of an absolutely brilliant concert you went to. It might even transport you back to a sad time but those feelings of nostalgia nevertheless just make you take your breath for a moment and forget about all your troubles. Well, those songs obviously work because we know the number of classic hits formats that are on radio stations, not only here in Australia, but around the world. And As part of my job, I'm lucky enough to get to interview some of the people who've created those songs, created that music that has become the soundtrack of so many people's lives. Today, we're going to have a bit of a lucky dip into just a few of those bands, and I'm going to start with a dead set legend, a guy who's nearly 80 and is showing no signs of slowing down. He's also showing no signs of losing that incredible voice. I'm talking about Tom Jones. I've been lucky enough to interview Tom in a lot of places over the years. I remember awkwardly having to interview him on a bed in a hotel once many years ago in Sydney. I've interviewed him at his place in London. I've interviewed him backstage at a concert here in Sydney right before he went on to find out how he tickles those famous tonsils before he goes on stage and wows the crowd. This is one of those chats and he's always got something fascinating to tell. Well, Tom, it's so lovely to have you in my hometown. Thank you. We love having you in Australia, and clearly you don't mind coming here. What do you like about the place?
2: Uh, well, I first came here 50 years ago, January of 1966. Wow. And I came down here with Herman's Hermits from Great Britain. We were the two British acts. I remember it very well, you know. I remember we had a great time. And the people I find and still do, because I grew up in South Wales, yes. you know, Great Britain, coal mining area and um, people were straight ahead they didn't they didn't mess around if they liked the way you sang they showed it if they weren't too fuzzy on it you know you had to prove (laughs) it was a great proving ground so coming to australia i felt that the people were very similar to that you know that they like straight shooters here there's a sense of humor as well you know it's slightly sarcastic slightly you know what I mean, but they can take the you know, raise out of you a bit, and which is fine because you have a bit of fun with it as well.
0: Yeah. Now, one of the things that happened, and I think it was on that visit, that hopefully won't happen this time, is the police were keeping you a bit of a close eye on the way
2: you dance. Yeah, I came up against it in England first, on the BBC television, and uh, well, it's not unusual. And the BBC were getting complaints from mothers saying because we used to plug, you know, plug shows. A lot of them were, were children's television, children's hour. You know, you'd get on, and the Beatles had been on, the Stones, everybody had been on doing their their thing. And I went on, on Blue Peter or or Cracker Jack. They were two famous ones. So the BBC started getting letters from mothers saying, I don't like to see this man gyrating in front of my children. (laughs) So that was the first time that that I'd come up against that. Then I went to America, and then I did the Ed Sullivan show. Same thing, basically. If you're going to move like that, you know, we'll cut the close-ups. You can't, you can't do that on, on television. And um, okay, and then Australia in January of '66. Of so the police, um, they filmed the rehearsal. I, I think it was in Sydney actually when we started off. And so they said we're going to film it, and if we find anything that we think is, you know, disagreeable to the way we think, <laughs> then you're not going to carry on. And I said, okay, point it out. You know, you. Uh, but they couldn't, you know. And uh, but the funny thing was, I was doing a dance called the jerk. It was an American dance that had just come out, and I picked it up in the states, you know. And it was, you know, it was like giving it all this and you know, like that. <laughs> and so he said, "What is that? What are you doing?" I said, "The jerk." And he said, "Are you trying to make fun of me?" You know, the policeman. I said, "No, no, I'm not calling you a jerk." It's the name of the dance, honestly. So it was like that. But they viewed it and they couldn't they couldn't find anything that was obscene anyway. <laughs> and, uh, and we did the tour and everybody loved it and that was it.
0: Tell me, what do you think about What inspires you when you're singing? Where, where do you go in your mind?
2: I relate to the song. Like, a, like an actor, when an actor gets into a part, he or she lives that part. Yep. You take on that role. Well, I feel that singing is like that. You know, you get into a song. I felt the knife in my hand, you know, she laughed in the war, I mean. And then the green, green grass of home. I think of home, I think of Wales when I sing the green, green grass of home. And when I do Kiss, you know, I, I think about that. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it all depends what the song is. But I try to inhabit the song, I try to get into it.
0: When you first hear a song, do you kind of know where you're going to go with it? I think of something like Sex Bomb. Does it scream out in your head exactly how the song needs to come out?
2: Uh, yeah. Because when I when I heard the demo on it, Moose T, the guy that wrote it with yeah. Errol, Errol Reynolds, they sent me this demo with a girl singing it. And she was singing I'm a sex bomb but she was a girl. yeah. You know, so my daughter in law said, You don't really want to say I'm a sex bomb, do you? I mean you know. Well you could. Well, maybe when I was twenty five. But <laughs> You know, so she said, "What about if you flip it? What about if saying you're a sex bomb and you turn me on you know, and you can do this and you can do that. It throws it out to you know it's not about one person then, mm. especially yourself so then it it took on a new thing for me anyway, but some it was such a big hit all over the world that I mean I saw kids singing it in the street, you know, and that's all day and they knew were sex bombs sex, <laughs> you know i mean it was it was like that, so the chorus. You know, was bigger than the actual very clever lyrics.
0: Do you have a particularly powerful voice? Have you ever measured?
2: That's the first time anybody asked me that. But I know it is loud when I need it to be loud. Yeah. And I went for lessons when I was a teenager. And this lady, she was an opera singer and she was teaching voice. And she said, you have a natural projection. You've got a great tone to your voice and you project well. So that's the two most important things, apparently. So, But volume wise, I don't know. But I, I know I've broken a few microphones. Have you? Yeah, when I've rec- been recording. Yeah.
0: You're kidding, actually broken them.
2: Yeah, I recorded with Jeff Lynn. From ELO. From ELO in Los Angeles. And he said, wait a minute, something's gone wrong with with the desk. He thought it was something, you know, with the control desk. He said there's distortion coming from, from the microphone. When he looked at it, you know, I had broken something in, in the mic. <laughs> so it was distorting. Through singing. Yeah. And then he put another one up. And then the second time, of course, he realised that it was just my volume that was coming out. That he had to tone it down on the desk. You know, if he was going to, if the mic was going to take the full thing, he was going to have trouble with it.
0: How extraordinary! Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Is there any music you hate? Anything you can't stand listening to?
2: I don't particularly like modern jazz, and I and I'm, I don't like heavy classical music. Ah, because it's depressing to me. Right. The same thing with, with, with modern jazz. It can get very depressing, but I don't want to be in... in
0: You're a happier person. I'm a happier You're person. You're a happy chap. Quite right. <laughs> <laughs> One band whose lives were already on the screen would be The Monkees because, of course, they were created to be the famous TV show that was such a huge hit in the 60s. Producers auditioned a bucket load of people and came up with Mike Nesmith, Mickey Dollins, Peter Tork and, of course, cute little Davy Jones. And they won the hearts of teenagers and some older folk as they poured out hit after hit after hit. They went on to, of course, become a legitimate touring band after the show ended. Sadly, only two of the original members are still with us, Mike Nesmith and Mickey Dollins. And in 2019, they did their last ever tour of Australia. And that's where I caught up with them and found out they still don't mind a lot. So you've been here quite a lot. We've been blessed to, to see you quite a bit, but...
3: We haven't seen you for yonks. What did we do? What did we do to piss you off, Mom? Really, nothing. No, 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 no. I'm a completely happy ex Aussie file. I'm okay. not an ex Aussie file. I'm just. I was happy to get out alive.
0: <laughs> Who did you offend? Did you wreck a hotel room? What did you do? No, not a thing.
3: I was, uh, well, actually, a thing. When I stood up on the stage at uh, Dune Den and I said, I'm so <laughs> glad you guys here. From uh, or here, I've always wanted to come to Dunedin. And, blah! and I was like, what? What? Dunedin, D-U-N-I-D-N? in America, that's Dunedin. It's
0: Dunedin. And they said, Dunedin. no, no, it's Dunedin, it's Dunedin, you moron. So how do you pronounce the cities here? How do you pronounce where we are now?
3: Uh, Adilin? <laughs> <laughs> Milburnoony? <laughs> We're in Adilid and Bris, uh, Brisbane, right? Brisbane and Adilid. You told me we we're Brisboni. going to Adilid and Brisbane. <laughs> I think that's
0: good. I got it. I There's one other thing you did in Australia, in Australia.
3: Oh God! Did that, they find out? That
0: you were probably in much bigger trouble. Before. They
3: changed the They changed the charge yes. to arson. No. Oh
0: no. <laughs> okay. Did you or Jeez. did you not oh, no. make up a lie and tell an Australian Oh, did I ever? Journo? Do you want to confess?
3: What did you do? <laughs> we can get the ratings below 10. Mickey and I have done it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a lot of
3: work. It's tough to do. It was. It was hard. And you were always the funny below <laughs> I'm waiting for the coffee to kick in and you to take over. <laughs> <laughs> I was up to my eyeballs in media veracity, which means, are these guys lying to us? Which was you mean th- fake th- me. I'm loath to repeat anything Trump says, but if, you know, <laughs> there you are. So... When we sat down, he said, well, what would you like to talk about? I said, well, I'm t- happy to talk about anything you want to talk about, but I'm going to lie the whole time. <laughs> and his face kind of dropped. And he said, well, when will I know that you're lying? And I said, you won't. That's the whole point of a lie. So he said, the monkey's very popular. How many records did you guys sell? I said, 35 million. That's bigger than the Rolling Stones and the Beatles combined in 1962." He said, really? How many? I said, 35 million. And I thought, I wonder how far this is gonna make it in the media stream. Well, it turns out it's made it all the way to now. And Mickey still repeats
4: it. He still says, yeah, we sold 35 million. I did something similar on a radio show in Los Angeles in the early days when I was asked about who had auditioned for the Monkees. Oh, I love this story. And I was like, uh, uh, well, Stephen
3: Stills, which is true. <laughs> that plausible, plausible. Yeah. He
4: was. No, I know he did. Stephen Stills did. Paul Williams, the famous mm-hmm. singer-songwriter. And then I just straight-faced, I said, and Charlie Mann. Yes! <laughs> because he was, he was around town at the time. He was. He was singing and playing with... Wilson. And to this day, Still one of the first there. questions I ever get asked. It's in the book. So when you're reading up about anything, it's probably not true. Not true. true. What
0: am oh I going It
4: would have been a strange group. Mickey, Mike, Peter, and Charlie. <laughs> what do you do, Mr...
3: <laughs> I'm a mass murderer. Don't mess with me. <laughs> well, he's gone to meet his maker. Oh, boy, that... I, I would have loved to have been at that meeting. <laughs>
0: I now don't know whether to believe anything you're going to say. No, nope, believe of the nothing. But, but what I do know is it's going to be thoroughly entertaining. So maybe. Fine. Maybe. Now, Mike, uh, this is a question. So I apologise in advance. You will have had it 560 million times. But of course, when I say I'm interviewing Mike Nismith, everyone says, "Do you know his mother invented liquid paper?" She did indeed. Um, how did she do that? I mean, it's fascinating that. A woman in that era started a business.
3: <laughs> she was very bright. She was a secretary. She was an excellent typist, but she was uh, learning, learned to type on those old hammer guys. You know, pow, 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 pow. And so she would make mistakes a lot. Then, and she was working at IBM at the time, then the IBM Selectric came in, and if you just twitched, you know, it was connected to your eye twitch muscle, you click, I'm going to do this whole thing. And she thought, I've got I to stop this. I can't erase this. How do I do it? She was a commercial artist by night making a little extra money and uh, she thought well you paint out mistakes on a graphics design, paint it out on the paper. She said oh if I get caught doing that I'll get fired on the spot. But she did it anyway and the boss came in and said who did this? And she said to me sir and he said well that's a pretty good idea and they <laughs> then he bailed out. Now the big story starts there which is that she turned it from this little thing in her garage and me and my friends filling the bottles to a multi-million dollar international corporation. And we had a big plant here. It might have been in Melbourne, one of the great beautiful cities of the world. And they had plant here in Brussels, Toronto, four plants that were cranking these things out at 100,000 bottles a day. And she became wildly successful and kind of legendary and so forth.
0: I just think that's a tremendous story of a woman who uh, achieved a, an incredible uh, amount in a year well what
3: what it served to do was to inspire it's a fabulous story uh, she was a fabulous uh, woman yeah
0: what's the song that you get most requests for
4: globally we would probably have to be I'm a believer or or daydream believer or, or, or something of that nature get so, off of my lawn <laughs> wasn't that her song <laughs> that, was, that was wonderful by now people just know that we're going to we're going to do, do it. We're going to play So don't, They don't have to worry about it. I make sure they always get that. Then, once they know that, um, you can do just about anything else yeah, you exactly. want. I and they'll go along it. with you. We'd had enormous success down here in the 60s uh, on the right. very original tour where I got my first Acubra. I, I have like four of them. Um, what is it called? An Acubra hat. It's a brand. So, it's that's the an Australian Akubra. Stetson? Yeah. Got it. The one I have from '67 is still looks good. exactly like this. It's still, still it's still pristine. Mm-hmm. Amazing. You look yeah. good in it. My favorite, my favorite, my much brand, you, one yeah. of my favorite brands of hat. Yeah. So
0: How just wanted you think? to notice. Yes, we do. and It looks very sharp.
4: If anybody wine, from right? Akuba's out there, it's seven and three eighths.
0: <laughs> Most exciting thing about coming back to do shows in Australia.
4: I must say, I love the food. Yes. And the wine. And the country in general. And, you know, Mike wasn't kidding when he said Melbourne is, I think uh, it is one of the most beautiful cities. Top five, all world.
0: All right. Now it's time to talk about perhaps the most classic hits band of them all, The Eagles, whose album, The Eagles' Greatest Hits, Volume 2, is one of the best-selling albums of all time. The Eagles wouldn't be The Eagles without one of its founding members, Mr. Don Henley. I was lucky enough to catch up with Don in New York for a chat about how life is going. This was, of course, before beautiful Glenn Fry passed away. The band were still touring and on really great terms as they remained right until the end. You might remember the Hell Freezes Overtour. They'd been broken up for 14 years. Bitterly, bitterly opposed to ever getting back together. They said terrible things about each other in the media. No one ever thought it'd happen. And yet, lo and behold, they got back together and went on a world tour that, well, basically hasn't stopped. The occasion for this sit down, though, was one of Don's solo projects. Of course, he had a massive solo career while the Eagles were broken up. Boys of Summer and all the rest won more Grammys than him poker sticker. And he still dabbles in solo work now. And this was the release of an album called Cass County. And it's a really great album if you get a chance to have a listen to it. But I think it just gave a special insight into some of Don Henley's world. Well, Don, what a privilege to see you here in New York City, the Thank home you. of country music, you so <laughs> yeah, accurately The home said.
1: of country music, yeah.
0: <laughs> but with this fantastic new album, Cass County, I love it. Thank I you. I really love it. Thank you. Um, now, of course, that's home for you. That's, that's where you're from.
1: It is, indeed. I spent what people refer to as their formative years uh, <laughs> in, in that place. Very small place, very rural. The landscape certainly had a great influence on my life because it was beautiful and I spent most of my childhood outdoors. Thank God we didn't have smartphones. (laughs) We didn't even have a television until I was 10 or 12 years old, and I'm so grateful for that. Um, We had radio, and radio was my magic carpet. It brought in a whole world, a whole world from outside.
0: And your mum took you to buy your first drum kit because you'd you'd managed to pinch a few bits from the school hall, I think, and cobble together something. you needed a proper
1: one. Yeah, yeah.
0: You obviously must have shown some talent.
1: She saw that I had talent, and so there were a bunch of uh, drums in the the high school band hall, and I would crawl through the window and (laughs) nick them, and sort of put them together somehow, and made a drum set out of that, and I used that for a couple of years, and then one day my mother said, come get in the car. I think I was about 15 years old, and she drove 80 miles to the nearest music store where they actually had a drum set and she ended up, much to my amazement, buying me this set of red sparkle, beautiful drums, put them in the boot of the car. On the way to our hometown, she stopped at my father's shop and opened the boot and she said, here's what I've done. And he went, okay. <laughs> and then things went on from there.
0: Have you still got it? I that do, I
1: still have you? it, yeah. You do?
5: Yeah, yeah.
0: I love that i love that you hang on to so many memories and it was a it was a country performer kenny rogers who mm. got you started yeah did you you bumped into him in a in a shop
1: quite by chance
0: and he was perhaps looking to make connection with one of the girls in the shop like at yes the time. yes she was
1: a beautiful girl um I, re- I remember her name in fact she she turned up back in 2007 when the eagles were shooting a video for the long road out of eden album she was one of the extras in Los Angeles she said you remember me I'm Jenny I'm the girl who worked in the the shop in Dallas name is Jenny Golden Kenny was in there I'm not sure he was interested in the clothing (laughs) but it was a modern it was a hip clothing boutique you know they sold bell-bottom pants and Nehru jackets and all those things and it was the summer of 68 and Kenny Rogers and his group the first edition they were on tour and one of the bolder members of my band just walked right up to him and said hi my name's Jerry and this is my band. Would you be interested in hearing us play? And he said, yeah.
0: Don was quite happy to spill the beans on his fellow stars. First up, Dolly Parton. What was it like recording with Dolly?
1: It was marvellous. She is such a professional and such a kind, humble human being. Her voice is so unique and it represents such a, an important part of American culture. And she's such a petite little person, but boy, when she opens her mouth to sing... And she came down to the studio and we were in Nashville, she brought a couple of little old ladies with her, and one of them was driving her, uh-huh. and the other one was her hairdresser, and they sat quietly in the back of the room with their hands folded in their laps, didn't say a word. And she walked Dolly comes in and she goes, "I know this song." and she sang a couple of tracks. She did it a couple of times. she went, "You know this is uh, this key is a little bit high for me." I said, "Well, uh, that's the only song that's the only key we've recorded it in. So <laughs> she said, "All right." She said, I guess I'll just have to rear back and get it then. And she did it in two takes. Wow. And was gone. Vanished.
0: And you got a slice of perfection. Right
1: yeah, there. and my, my production team and I just stood there in silence for about five minutes going, what the hell just happened here? <laughs> it was like somebody came in and sprinkled pixie dust all over the studio oh. and, then, and then left. She's a force of nature. But, you know, speaking of women, there, there are not enough women in the country charts right now in this country. It's all dominated by dudes, and there need to be more women in the charts. Mick Jagger, I've only crossed paths with him three or four times in my career, and he has always been unfailingly kind and generous to me, you know, very supportive, no attitude, no holier-than-thou thing, always just very kind and uh, cordial.
0: You caught up with Billy Joel. Yeah, I love Billy. Week. He wants to launch a supergroup with you, Sting and him.
1: Well, I'm not sure he's so keen on it. <laughs> there, there was talk for a while, several years ago, about doing something like that. Actually, Billy might be willing. I'm not sure King, uh, Sting is so keen on it, you know. He's still getting over the group he, <laughs> he was in. We're, we've all been, you know, Sting and I are a little shy of the, of the group thing. It would be interesting if we did it for a limited amount of time, you know, like a year maybe we could devote to it. Billy and I are trying to find the time to sit down and maybe write a song or two together.
0: That'd be amazing. Which
1: would be great, because he needs to start writing again. He just stopped writing, you know, he just Years got tired. Years like
0: for ages. He hasn't written anything for so long. For
1: long, yeah. Well, he says that pop music bores him, and I understand that sentiment. It, a lot of it bores me too, to tears. But that just means that we need to write some better stuff mm. and put it out there. He's such a good musician, you know. He's a hundred times the musician I am. But hopefully Billy and I will be able to find the time. And he just had a new baby, so he's got that going on. He'll
0: be wanting to get it out of the house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, go to a recording yeah. studio. <laughs> yeah, he'll be
1: wanting to go somewhere. Plus, he's run into the same problem I've run into. We both wrote a song about our firstborn. He wrote that beautiful song called Lullaby about his daughter Alexa. And I wrote a song called Annabelle about my firstborn. So now my other two teenagers are saying, Daddy, where's my song? <laughs> As soon as his baby girl gets a few years older, she's going to start asking him that same question. (laughs) And he's going to have to write whether he likes it or not.
0: While it's not necessarily true that all musicians know each other, there is a link between Don Henley and our next celebrity, Barry Gibb. Yes, it's a little-known fact that Don played drums on the Bee Gees' hit, Ordinary People. I sat down with Barry when he was in Australia for his Mythology tour in 2013 which was his first tour without his bandmates and brothers, Morris and Robin. I even managed to fit in a chat with his mum, Barbara, beforehand. I must warn you, though, the sound quality's not the best, but she was so funny and adorable, I thought it was too good not to share. And hard to believe, she was 92 at the time. It's I very do. nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Too. Have you come a long way to see Barry's concerts? Oh, not really. I live up the road from them. We all live together. We all live one another. We've had some But the concerts no, We haven't had a concert for a while. And so are you looking. This is uh, my little granddaughter. She's going to be up there too. She's going to be performing, I know. Oh, she is, and she's a very clever kid too. And are you excited to see that? Very, so, Very excited, yeah. Amazingly talented. How little were they when you knew you'd produced oh. some unique progeny? <laughs> they were singing, sat on the bed one morning
1: singing something in harmony. Oh, yeah. and, uh, but my father in law, who was watching the early television in England, he said, It's just the kids. I'd never heard them sing. Morris always used to make a joke and say, "At that moment, Dad's
0: eyes lit up with dollar signs." He was kidding. Him. <laughs> <laughs> from that moment on, but that was no. We knew they had the talent. Mm-hmm. Where does the talent come from? The father was a leader. I was a bum singer. But we couldn't either. I was right salton. Never. <laughs> Barry is a very, 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 very
5: talented man.
0: It's going to be hard for him to do these shows on his own. Yes, I think I think he's in a way kind of steeled himself, but it's, he wants to do it for them, too. You know, it's for them. So he'll do it. Even, so he
5: does a wonderful show. Sure.
0: I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me.
1: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people
5: today.
0: Barry Gibb, it's welcome home, isn't it? Yes, That's it is. what you feel about yeah, Australia, isn't
5: yeah. it? Yes, it is. And, uh, and I'm home, so I'm happy.
0: This is the first time you on your own. How are you feeling yeah. about
5: that? A lot of mixed feelings. I mean, it, it, I'm really hungry to play. I feel that, the, that, uh, you know, I don't have my brothers with me and that's that's the bitterness about it. The sweetness about it is, is is that the music is still there for me. I still want to make music. And I love being here. So it, it, all, it all rolls up to that one thing. I'll, I'll always see them no matter what.
0: Do you think you'll yeah. feel them on stage with yeah. you when you take to the oh, stage here? Yeah.
5: yeah. I'll feel them around the same microphone. I just know that they're there, you know. And I have to. I have to feel that.
0: You have some new generations of, of Gibbs on stage with you. you your yeah. son, Stephen, and, you, and your niece, son, Samantha. My other son,
5: and little Sammy, who is Morris' daughter. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm seeing the next generation, and, and I'm witnessing that myself. And uh, it's really part of, of uh, having such a large family now that we start to see the talent coming through. We start to see other kids in the family that want to sing and want to play, you know. All my kids love music. Now it's coming to the surface, and it, it, it's a pleasure to see.
0: Can any of the Gibbs not sing? <laughs> Can you so
5: No, I'd, ha- I'd have to say that I think all of them do. OK. You know, my sister sings. Yeah. And she, she sang in the early days, so it's really part of the family. There's a lot of love. My father was a drummer. My mother was a band vocalist uh, during and the war.
0: Is that a thrill for you to have yeah. Barbara here?
5: It's really given her something special to come back. Cause she's going full cycle she wants to see where it was we lived when we first emigrated here so for her it's given us something new you know she's a, what, a great 92 years old very feisty and this was something after losing all the boys she she needed this
0: is she where you guys get your sense of humor from
5: and our father and, and your dad yeah oh yeah he had a great sense of humor my mom and you know the early days uh, of living here and Listening to the Goon Show coming out of England. Yeah. Those things become ingrained in you. And you tend to sort of, you see everything through the eyes of Spike Mulligan. It's a sensible way of doing things. (laughs) And Peter Sellers.
0: And Peter Sellers. You've spoken a lot about the fact that your ride through this fame has had great highs, but also very, very big lows. How do you philosophize that? How do you put that in some kind of perspective? Uh, well, I
5: think the philosophy is this is life. This is exactly what happens. And there's nothing happening to us that doesn't happen to someone else. And you will experience every emotion in your life, every emotion, in one way or another. You know, Nobody experiences this, th- that the same way, but we'll get it all.
0: But know? is there, I suppose I'm asking, is there a price of fame?
5: I think fame, uh, fame is a great illusion. You still, have to, you still have to go to bed, you still have to get up, you still have to feel good, you still have to feel bad, and nothing, nothing changes behind the scenes. So it's like, keep your feet on the ground, find what you love and do it, because everything else is really nonsense. And it's a divider, you know. You're very close when you're not famous. You become detached from each other when you are. Is that what happened
0: to yeah. you and your brothers? Yeah.
5: So it began when fame struck, you know. Before that, we, couldn't, we wouldn't have gone anywhere without each other.
0: Do you wish you were closer through yeah. those famous years? Yes, yeah.
5: But I think we do have those regrets. When we lose somebody, we always go, if I'd only told them, if I'd only told them. You
0: know? When you see young people today striving, clawing yeah. for fame yeah. at all costs, yeah. what, what do you think? What would you say?
5: Keep clawing. It, it, uh, you know, that, that's the drive. That's what it's about. Uh, um, never give up on your dream. Have a dream. And, and so we, never get, we didn't know what was going to happen to us. Stick to it. Stick to it. If you believe it, then you believe it, and it will happen, you know. Where
0: does it take you when you're up on stage playing? What, what place does that another take place, you Another place. Is it the
5: place. best place? Well, no, because being amongst, being amongst my family is the best place, well, you know, but it's there. It's right up there with those things, and it's a very special time. It really might be two hours, you know, but, but there's nothing like it. It's magic.
0: Which I'm song happy. do you think is going to mm. represent this tour for you the most?
5: How deep is your love? It's a song I love to sing, and I try to stay involved in the songs I love—not songs that are okay, that were hits, but songs I love.
0: You, know. you only wrote great songs, didn't
5: you? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Debatable.
0: <laughs> oh, I think
5: so. <laughs> yeah, no. I...
0: And what's the one thing you're going to do in any downtime in Australia? What's the thing that you can only do in Australia that you look or only get in Australia, or something about Australia that you're really looking forward
5: to? Uh, well, there's, there's a um, you know, there's a warmth here. There's pe- people are very special here. They don't uh, follow what happens in the world. They, they, Australia is very Australian, and I see a lot of that. And, and I, I want to see more of that. People are very kind and friendly, and that's what that's what gets me on. And it, I, I don't see that much in the rest of the world. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of um, in, uh, indifference in the rest of the world, and uh, and not so friendly. You know. So this is what I like. This is this is my pace here. You know. <laughs>
0: I wanted just to ask you about the wonderful hat you've got on. It's yes. about the PCYC.
5: PCYC and time for kids. Yeah. yeah,
0: when when you boys were young, there was a time that rock and roll started, may not have been your future as much as perhaps a bit of Shot time lit. with the <laughs> police.
5: <laughs> well, we were we, we like we loved Woolworths, you know, and we would go in there and you know and lift a few things, and and uh, that became not so much while we we're breaking the law. It just became fun, you know, and there came a time when. I took Morris and Robin out on the Redcliffe jetty and uh, on the, the old pier. And we had a couple of pen knives we'd stolen from, from Woolworths. And um, I said, look, we've got to make a decision. We, we can continue doing this and laughing at everything and laughing at the law. Or we can follow what eventually may really work for us, and that's our love of music. You know? So we, we made that choice. This is, this is the direction that we, we should go. And we all agreed, OK. So we threw the pen knives off the jetty, off the pier, into the water. And they're still there today.
0: (laughs) It was an amazing show, and that emotion that you hear in Barry's voice is is there when he performs, is there when he sings. He's really just such a beautiful performer and a beautiful man. Thanks for listening. I'm Ange Bishop and this has been Starstruck. A Studio 10 podcast for 10 speakers.
4: In 35 years of Neighbours, we've seen it all.
0: (laughs) Or have we? Welcome to Ramsey Beat, a new 10 Speaks podcast celebrating 35 years of Australia's favorite soap. Find it wherever you subscribe to podcasts.
2: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll
5: want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands.